0: graduation day. The idea being God works in special ways in seasons of transition. And you see the video speaks of some of that. You see people graduating and they're happy and heading off to what's new and what's next, excited about that. Others in transitions that are not nearly as happy, but difficult ones, but God also works there as well. Thinking about that during this season. Last week, we talked about uh, how we let go of the past. Next week, really grabbing the future. Today, dealing with discouragement and disappointment and seasons of transition, which is really a big part of dealing with any kind of transition for, for lots of reasons. But also, we know today is Mother's Day. Uh, we're celebrating that in many ways. Each one of us has our unique ways we mark and celebrate Mother's Day. We have mums for moms on the altar. United Methodist Women put that in place for us, and some of you have those. Take those with you if you purchase one of those, our way of celebrating Mother's Day. You may or may not know the history of Mother's Day, but I am going to share a little bit about it with you if I can. 1908, uh, by Anna Jarvis, the same year her mother died, uh, had a memorial service for her, and she wanted to recognize that and go beyond that also into celebrating mothers in a very special and unique way. Not really necessarily the way we always celebrate today. Her mother was a very special person, not just because she was her mother, but because she was a peace activist. She served her world in all kinds of ways. During the Civil War, uh, she served both sides, uh, uh, injured uh, and wounded in both sides of that war. She did that especially. She and her daughter were very much about women getting the right to vote, and really it was all about in many ways uh, saying that, you know, women are not being celebrated like they should. They serve our world, they serve during war, they serve our families, they serve our communities, and we don't recognize them like they need to be recognized. It really is a way of elevating uh, women in America not just celebrating Mother's Day. The idea was emphasizing sentiment and service. That was the two key connections with the original Mother's Day movement about sentiment and service, especially by and for women, how special that is. Also, you may not know this as well, that uh, both Anna and her mother were Methodists, and the first Methodist, first Mother's Day service was in a Methodist church, eventually becoming a national holiday, and, you know, I kind of like that, you know, and so we marked that today as well in Mother's Day. So I wanted to kind of lay that out there for you to see and think about, contemplate what Mother's Day is and what it means and why it's so important in the world that we live in, more than just the way we often think of it, again, service and sentiment. And God works in special and unique ways in seasons of Transition, you know, there's happy seasons of it, exciting, I achieved, I accomplished, I got the diploma, and I'm heading out there into a brave new world. A little fear with that certainly, but also that. And we're connecting this with graduation season from college and high school here, as you know, that's also what's happening now in the world we live in. Uh, we add to that other seasons, and you saw marks of divorce and, and death and other transitions we experience that are not some that are not fun at all. Does God work there too? Yes, He does. Are we graduating? Yes. Not in the same way, but it's part of our journey. So please think about that transition. And we all have those kind of transitions in life, as well as traditional ones, classic ones. You know, going through college and seminary, my grades were okay. Seminary, they were okay as well. Uh, but in that season, my brother and I both, I have identical twin brother, we went to seminary at the same time. We both had families, we're having kids, we're serving a church full-time you know, going to seminary at the same time, you know, and we had many people around us who were graduating, you know, come laude and summer cum laude and magna cum laude. My brother and I got time to graduate. It was more like, thank you, laud. That's how we graduated. <laughs> Just glad to make it happen. 1971 in high school for me. 1975, uh, uh, getting out of the military, out of the Navy, and that was a graduation of, of sorts, uh, leaving things behind, picking up new 78 was college graduation, and in 1983 was seminary graduation. Had a bunch of those. You have those kind of graduations as well. I've had other graduations. I lost my parents. You know, had that. Got married. That's a big move into a new way of life. That's all part of our journey. Now I want to read for you just a few pieces of Timothy uh, uh, that uh, that has already been read, but it's it's just some sections of it. In doing so, I want you to be aware of two things. It's written to a young man named Timothy, very young man, who is scared to death because Paul, the apostle, the apostle Paul is saying, you're going to take my place. Timothy's scared about that. Talks about his mother and grandmother who's had faith first, and their faith is in Timothy. What a great Mother's Day connection, not, not intentional, it's just simply Mother's Day connection with that one. Now, Paul's writing these same words at the end of his life, and Paul is facing death, and Paul is in prison. Talk about a transition. Two remarkably different transitions, equally frightening, and these are the words that God writes and speaks through Paul to Timothy. Hear them now. He talks about the authentic faith they share, faith in God, faith in Christ. He also tells them this: because of this, I'm reminding you to revive God's gift. Scott referred to that. Does in you through the laying on of my hands? God didn't give us a spirit that is timid or afraid, when well, is powerful, loving, and self-controlled. Goes on to say: don't be ashamed of what I'm experiencing. I'm in prison. There are people probably talking about that. Maybe they think I deserve this. I'm in prison for Christ's sake. Don't be ashamed of me at all. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Even though he is in this amazing transition, very difficult, and today we're talking about seasons of discouragement and disappointment, it's often part of our transitions. He says, don't be ashamed of me. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of the Lord in my life, and now I share in suffering to share the good news. goes on to say about him, this is is also why I'm suffering the way I do, but I'm not ashamed of it. I know the one in whom I have placed my trust. I am convinced that God is powerful enough to protect what he has placed in my trust until that day. So hear these words, dealing in transitions with discouragement and disappointment. Now today I'm going to share a lot of stuff. I think very important things that we need to know that help me, hope it will help you. So if you don't normally take notes, you might need to do that today. Your message page has a place to write this in. I didn't fill it out for you, so you have to do that. You, you might want to later on go through this in a time of prayer, uh, in the morning or in the evening, and just think about it more carefully for yourself. I think it would be helpful to you if you would. So if you don't normally take notes, think about it today. Uh, but in, t- in times of transition, we can experience emotional and spiritual turmoil, even chaos. It can be evidenced by anxiety, by fear, by discouragement, by disappointment. Uh, Bad decisions can be made, or no decisions can be made. It's often what happens to us in these situations. We can also find ourselves in those seasons blaming God for what we got ourselves into, what we're into, blaming others in our world, blaming just the world in general, even blaming those that we love, blaming those we care about the most. It's a very common response that people go through in seasons of disappointment and discouragement, blaming God, others, even those we love, often because of the fear and anxiety we're experiencing in that season of turmoil that goes on and on and on. Yet Timothy here says, and this, we're going to put these words up on the screen again, for the spirit God gave us does not make us afraid. So it's not God making us afraid. It's not God giving us fear. That has not come from God. God, what God gives us is power, love, self-discipline. That's what God gives. So find what our resource is to move into, I'm gonna give you a story and I'm gonna give the first major point which I think is very important. I've enjoyed playing basketball through the years. Some years ago I realized I couldn't do it anymore so I finally raised the white flag and said, enough of that. Uh, But I played for a long time. In my younger days, I could jump a little bit. Not a lot, but I could jump somewhat. And so when you jump a lot and you can jump playing sports or basketball, you occasionally sprain your ankle. And and one day playing for the church team, uh, this is another church, but playing for the church team, uh, I sprained an ankle and found myself limping around on crutches that next weekend in church, Uh, which is not how you want to serve communion, baptize people and preach. You know, it's also painful, but that's what I did. Well, a few weeks later, I decided that I was getting well enough to put a brace on and try to play again. So I went out there to play for the team uh, again with a sprained ankle, and here's what I did. I re-sprained that ankle, and because I was favoring that ankle, I also sprained the other one. So I found myself with a number of things. One, my wife gave me an eye roll for getting out there way too soon. I got that. You know, what are you thinking? Uh, and then trying to preach and do what I do with two sprained ankles. How difficult that was. Now, keep that in mind as I give the first very important point. Even Christians can experience event-caused emotional and spiritual damage that must have time to heal. Even Christians can have things happen in our lives that damage us spiritually, emotionally, even our soul, that must recover, and that can sometimes take time. I need to simply to take more time on that, those ankles. Just take time. Give it a chance to recover, repair, get well, and then get after it again. I just refused to do that as a young person, so I wouldn't do it. The same thing is true for our life as we experience. If you've ever had grief, lost a loved one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that no matter what you do, you know that it takes time to recover from losing a loved one. You can pray and, and, and worship, and that gives you strength to get through, but in the end, you still have to wait for that recovery to happen. It's normal, it's how God made us, it's who we are, it's how we are wired. So I want to say, wherever you are in your life, and you go through transitions, and you say, I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. That's part of life. It's part of our journey sometimes. There's nothing wrong with you or me. It's not. Many times, it's not even about our faith it be about a journey we walk through that will come out the other side one day and say, I'm stronger for that time. I've learned from that time and God walked me through that time and now I'm in a new place and recovery and healing has now become my way and how I live and serve and love God, serve others and walk with God today in a new place on the other side of that transition. That's true with job loss, true with divorce, it's true with grief, it's true with many things, sometimes just minor disappointments can create damage in our life we just have to recover from. And I've told people that many times. They often don't like that. They want me to have some magical word that I can say that will automatically bring that. Nope, nope, that's not how it works. That's not how God works, and the Bible doesn't teach that it works that way. So please hear that. I'll move to a second uh, uh, word. I'll give you that uh, that quote in a second, but, but I said it often that we live in a culture of discontent, and, I, and I, what I mean is, the world we live in works really hard to make us be discontented. They want us to be discouraged. They want us to be disappointed. Here's where I think, here's where part of it I think that comes from. You know, every couple years, we have these amazing elections that go on. We have presidential elections every four years. Every couple of years, we have uh, Senate and Congress elections. And uh, so we have that rare season when you, when you have a presidential election and congressional and Senate elections all at the same time. Now, when that happens, the last election that that took place, you know how much money was spent by candidates to get us to vote for them? 6.3 billion dollars, which is more than double what it was the previous election. They think it's going to double almost every election now, maybe 10 million the next election, 10 billion dollars the next election. And what typically a candidate wants to do, I'm not criticizing politics here, is talking about how this works. They want us to be discontented, discouraged, and disappointed, so we will vote for someone who will make us happy, give us what we want, make the world a better place. And so that's how that often is communicated to you and me in an overwhelming way we may think we are used to, but it influences us far more than we think it does. Nobody out there is trying to get us, make us content and satisfied and happy. No one's doing that. That's not how the world works that we live in. Now, we add to that advertisers who obviously want to make us unhappy, discontented, and discouraged, disillusioned, and unhappy, disappointed, so we'll buy their product who they promise will make us happy, make us feel good, make our world a better place, and all kinds of amazing promises, which, you, you know, it's hard to believe. How much money is being spent on that one? $180 billion dollars a year, $560 billion worldwide. And we don't think that matters, but it does. It influences us in the most affluent world with the best health care, most affluent, most benefits, best of almost everything in human history. We're the most discontented, discontented unhappy people as you, as we could possibly imagine. And along with that comes dis- disappointment and Discouragement. The world does not go the way that I want it to. We find ourselves that. Uh, some years ago, there was a television show on that Ron and I used to like to watch called Seventh Heaven. It's about a pastor and his wife. And they're a bunch of kids in a house. And, and my wife knows that, that I like to give a commentary when we watch television. She doesn't like that. This is why we like movies, because I won't talk in movies nearly, uh, some I do, but not, not as much. Uh, but on TV, I do it a lot. Uh, I think she needs to know these points that I've discovered there, you know. Her life would be so much fuller and better if she just listened to the good things I was going to share with her about what we're watching together. So people were laughing because you know that's the way your story is too, but we do that. And I, I, I would say things like the church he's preaching to has about 70 people in it, okay, a handful of people he's preaching to, and they live in a mansion Uh, they got this huge house and, and multiple stories and all these kids driving their cars and there's no way you could live in that house and preach in that church. And if you pay attention to television and movies, that's very common. They're living a lifestyle none of us can afford. They're living a way of life none of us could ever, if, ever, if, ever be able to do. It is all the time. And on top of that, there's a happy ending in 30 minutes, or one hour and a movie, two hours. We live in these snippets of time today, and we miss the point. And so here's the second point, if you're taking notes. Disappointment. And and discouragement is sometimes a result of misguided and unreal expectations. Paul's writing these words from prison that we read in Timothy. Timothy's getting ready to take over because his mentor is going to be executed. And he's facing a world that hates Christians, and he's going to go into that and share good news and face great difficulty in the process. The Apostle Paul is already experiencing discouragement in in some ways because he, in the same letter, he writes about those who've opposed him, those who were his enemies, and those who'd abandoned him in his greatest hour of need. He names who they are. In some of his letters, he talks about churches and he writes, he says, I can't believe you've left the gospel so soon. I turned my back and you mess up already, Galatians. That's his story. So as he tells his story in the middle of that, he tells us also, I know who I believe in. I'll say more about that in a little bit. But when you look at biblical expectations, not the unreal ones our world talks about, or the misguided ones our world gives us images about, or we might have from wherever they come from, in the Bible, it's never about stuff and achievement. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor, it's about humility and trusting God. It's about making a difference. It's about living a holy life. It's about laying up for ourselves, as Jesus said, treasures in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt that, we, what we have. That's the Bible teaching. And we live in a world that has this other stuff that constantly influences us and why we find ourselves sometimes disappointed and, and, and discouraged. It's of unreal expectations. Are they misguided and not the expectations God has for us in our life? There thing happening as well, and I'm going to go ahead and say this point right now. Disappointment and discouragement is sometimes the result of not being obedient to serious Sabbath seasons. I'm going to say right now that a Sabbath season, God is at the center. If God is not at the center, it's not a Sabbath season whether it's a worship time as we're having right now or a a nap time or prayer time or rest time. I said this this before, but uh, the Sabbath is the only thing that's actually written into God's creation of the world. Uh, That on the seventh day, God rested. Now, he wasn't tired. God rested to give us and put into creation the way he made us a requirement that we need that season in our life whether it be a weekly time, a monthly time, a daily time, or a yearly time, we actually find Jesus to put Him at the center of our life. One of the commandments given on Mount Sinai to Moses was the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Sabbath. God on earth kept Sabbath times. He didn't follow the, the, the judgmental laws of Pharisees. He said the Sabbath is made for you. But He taught that to His followers, not just by what He said, but what He did. When he went up the mountain and rested, when he spent time away in solitude, when he found time to rest and pray, when he, when he connected with God himself as God on this earth, how important it is. I believe we live in an adrenaline-infused culture. Here's what I mean. As time goes on, whatever age we are, this applies to everyone, as time goes on, we learn how to live our lives. And we can use the word Competence. We become competent in making it work, whatever it is. That includes our jobs, includes our careers, includes our marriages sometimes, our families. It includes a day-by-day routine of life. It includes our recreational things that we enjoy doing. We get competent at that. We learn the drill. We operate that way. And as time goes on and on and on in a week, maybe, a month, a year, a generation, that time goes on We find ourselves having left passion and joy and freshness behind, and we're living only on adrenaline and what we know how to do. Uh, Some some people use the word burnout to, to say that's what that is. There are many terms we might say discouraged or disappointed. I thought I'd be happier. I thought I'd feel more joy. I thought I'd be able to engage life better. Thought I'd enjoy my family and my and my marriage and my church more, and we don't realize what's happened. We're fueled on coffee and, and sugar and adrenaline, waiting for that to kick in. And we don't what well, we don't know what's happened if we run out of that, it's gone. There's none of it left. Uh, some studies have shown that if we reach a point of burnout, having done that in our life, not thought we didn't need Sabbath rest in the way that we're taught to do that, we find ourselves living in a way where we, where we are consumed uh, by the busyness that describes our life and our confidence now living that way. They say that to recover at that point can take more than a year sometimes, to actually recover. Just to physically and emotionally and spiritually recover. I've known pastors who were told, take a year off, do nothing. Do nothing, and maybe you'll get well. If you don't, you're never going to get well. A year! Yes, a year. Because we're talking about how God made us. And so sometimes we're simply in that situation of being discouraged at this point because we just run out of life, we run out of joy. We run out of freshness and energy, run out of spirit and soul, and it's simply just a physiological, emotional, spiritual thing that's left us to a place, and we don't know how we got there. Yet when you hear this message, you say, oh, that's why I feel like I feel. And many times that's true for all of us. Sometimes we hit that at the end of the week. We say, I don't want to go to work this week. I don't want to get up this week. I don't want to go home today. I don't want to do anything now. Turn the TV on. That's how we know often. Sabbath is about God being at the center of that relationship, rest, that family time, rest, that even taking a nap, rest, that worship, Bible, solitude time of rest, God the center, and that's where we are reinvigorated to find energy for the rest of life coming until we take that Sabbath rest again. That's how God created us, to not live that way. It's saying that we don't believe God made us that way and we think we're God instead. That's why it's written in creation. That's the third point today. Moving down to the, the fourth point in this story. Disappointment and discouragement is sometimes the result of neglecting healthy relationships while catering to the demands of unhealthy ones. Now, that's a book right there. That's a whole message series. So obviously, I know I can't go into great detail with that. Now, I'm going to, uh, right from the beginning of this, this, this last part of the message today, I'm not telling you to go home and get rid of people you think are unhealthy in your life. Oh, they're, they're causing me problems. No, that's not what I'm saying. So don't even imagine that's what I'm trying to say today. What I'm saying is this. If, we don't, if we're not intentional, unhealthy people will suck up our life and not leave room for those that are healthy in our, in our life relationships. And so we find ourselves over time abandoning, losing, giving up, failing in our most important relationships because we have these unhealthy ones that are taking over completely. Now Jesus cared about unhealthy people, he did. He loved them, served them, blessed them. We're not talking about neglecting those people To to any level where we say, I don't have to have this in my life. Because God calls us serve many people like that. The church is about sometimes people who have those kind of needs. But Jesus always found time to spend with his disciples. With those who were going to lead the church when he uh, was resurrected. He found time to spend with them. He didn't neglect them for the crowds who came clamoring for his help and what they needed from him right now. Because they're unhealthy in all the ways and all that that means. Every pastor must learn this and we have great difficulty learning it in our life. Some never learn it. I'm still learning it myself and how I serve God. In your first church you discover that those who are unhealthy will take every square inch of the life you have and every second of your service of God they'll take it all and you'll have no time for anyone else. Those who lead your church so those healthy people who serve Christ with you, your own family. You have to learn to balance that out. I think sometimes we are discouraged and disappointed because we have done that because good people are the ones who do that. It's Christians who do that. It's loving people who do that. People who follow Christ are the ones who do that. And so we have to realize that's part of the journey that often leads us to a place we don't want to be, and transitions are always full of that stuff. It's always full of that part of our life. And so disappointment, discouragement is sometimes the result of neglecting unhealthy relationships while catering to the demands of unhealthy ones. And again, I'm not telling you to go home and sending a note to those in your life that you think are in that category. Well, I'm done with you. I'm not telling you to do that. Talking about balancing life as we follow Christ in a healthy way, we're able to live in a life of joy and freshness and abundance and have energy to serve those unhealthy people to be able to be there for them when they need us in our life, to be able to be that one, to be, give that word or advice or help when they need it. Because we come from a place of strength, which is our healthy relationships with God, family, church family, and others in your life, who you know, who you know in that category. And that's all good in, in that light, so please hear that. Well, the final word here today is a, is a verse of scripture that we've, I've read already. Memorized it long ago, not with, this, not with this translation, but it's one I memorized a long time ago. It's worth memorizing. Because I know whom I have believed. He writes it in prison. He writes it to Timothy, who's scared to death of what's next. Stir up for yourself right now this gift that's in you. Through the laying on of my hands, I know who I believe in. I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I've entrusted to him until that day when that day comes, and that leads into next week's message, which is what's coming next. Will you pray with me, please? Thank you, Heavenly Father, today for the words you've given us, the words of Scripture, words of inspiration, the words you speak to in our hearts and our lives, the words of truth, worship, prayer, Mother's Day, special season, God, you've given us, and graduation day. May you speak to our hearts, we we learn, grow, and change. May the future of God be better than the past. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.